Well, everybody, what's the crack? And welcome back to episode number 16 of the Inline G Flute Podcast with me, your host, Inline G. The video watchers can still see that we are in Belfast. For two weeks in a row, we are in sunny, beautiful Belfast. We're in the Sunflower Bar, my favourite pub potentially in the entire city, and they have graciously given us the upstairs room to record some brilliant episodes in. So if you watched last week's episode, episode number 15, you would have seen my best friend Zach Troughton and also a member of the Irish folk trio True, talking all things Belfast, local music, etc, etc. We had another guest, which I've just recorded an hour ago, and that is the Belfast board flute player Aisling Agnew. Aisling is a Belfast-based flute player as well. She plays with the Hardwain Soloist Ensemble, the Irish Memory Orchestra, she's done solo records, she's an incredible flute player and I am very thankful that she agreed to appear on this podcast. So I'm going to leave you guys with that in a minute. Just before I get into the chat with Aisling, I want to do some housekeeping. So as always, if you want to donate to this podcast, that is possible. The podcast is free. It'll always be free. I will never charge you guys for extra content. But if you want to help out, help keep the lights on in my apartment and donate some money to the podcast, you can do so. If you think I watch Gareth's podcast every week. That's four hours of entertainment a month. If I saw him in a pub, I'd buy him a pint or a cup of coffee. You can do that. There's a link in the description here. If not, you can head over to my social media pages, particularly Instagram. In the link there, you could donate some money. I would recommend whatever a cup of coffee or a pint costs wherever you live, throw me that. Do that maximum once a month. Great. It helps out a lot right here. And the people who already have donated, it is hugely appreciated. It really is. So anyway, we're going to get into this week's episode where I'm chatting with Aisling. Enjoy. Yeah. Have you been here before? Have yes. you been to the pub before? Yeah. Many times. Have you gigged in the pub before? No, I haven't. But my uncle plays traditional music and plays in a sort of old-timey group that play here on Friday nights. So. What's old-timey music? Like kind Irish trad? Yeah. Well, not really sort of slightly more like bluegrass influence now, you know, but he, he does do trad as well, so... Yeah, I'd pop in to see them play quite often. Oh, cool. Do they play up here? No, downstairs. Okay. Oh, do they play in the sessions or do they do... Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. So there's good sessions here on Thursdays and Fridays, so... Yeah. Have you ever played in the session? Uh, yes, but not here. Okay. Uh, yeah, more in the west of Ireland. Yeah. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually one thing I wanted to ask about straight away was, do you have a background in trap music? Uh, no, not really. I am much more from a classical background. Yeah. And I would have been at a lot of trad music when I was a kid. Like, I'd have been taken to different um, sessions and things to listen. But it wasn't really something I was interested in doing myself until I got much older, actually. It okay. was kind of... I was quite late to it. And then I started getting more interested in wooden flutes and things. So it just kind of came through that, I think. Really? You know? So, and then, yeah. like, playing the wooden flute made you think, oh, maybe good. Give the Irish flute a lash, or...? I think it was just it was probably around the same time I was kind of interested in different types of flutes like I, I was interested in Indian flute and, and I sort of wanted to try things and then when I started playing Irish music I realised I was doing it so badly because it's kind of hard to come to it from a classical it perspective it really is isn't it you know? yeah um, and you tend to do everything the wrong way around you know and it's yeah so I started trying to just teach myself to learn by ear and that really shook up like how I was playing but I found it harder to recreate it on a classical flute, so I, I got an Irish flute and started... Okay. You know, and can you play the Irish flute then? You can really... You feel comfortable on it? Uh, do I feel comfortable? Like, I mean, it's, I it's difficult, difficult to say. Like, I, I play whistles and stuff as well, and I, I don't know. It's hard whenever you're, like, very comfortable on one flute, because then you compare it to the yeah. other, you know? And it gets frustrating then as well, I think. Yeah, I'm much less comfortable, but I really like it, and it, it makes me play in a different way, so... Yeah. Yeah, but it is definitely a, a late development. Yeah, me. see, I find, like, I've picked up trying to play trap music recently, but, yeah, you're coming from a, from a classical point of view, and I'm, like, almost trying to read the ornamentation, trying to study it. There's a great book by the guy, Philly Barnes. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? Have you yeah. read it? Yeah, Irish mm-hmm. Music on the Silver Flute. It was great, but I always feel like I'm... I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. I haven't quite picked it up yet. Yeah. I haven't really done it on trad flute. I still use my, my normal flute. Yeah. Um, normal, but um, I find it really difficult. I don't know. I'm it is difficult. I think the, the mechanism, everything about our concert flute is designed to make, you know, playing chromatic music easier. But actually, when you're trying to play something really quick in the key of D, for instance, just playing a flute in that key is yeah. so much easier. It just yeah. flies under the fingers. And I think that the problem for classical players a lot of the ornaments 
are too deliberate sounding they're too sort of exactly measured or yeah yeah, yeah. Um, whereas whenever you can kind of fly through those a bit faster under your fingers it's easier so yeah yeah I totally get that even when I play the whistle it's so much easier yeah playing a whistle it's so much more fun as well but yeah. trying to play it on yeah a C flute is an absolute nightmare yeah um so yeah, actually, sorry, I'm reading my notes here as well. Uh, yeah, tell me a bit about your background, first of all. So you're, how did you come to the flute? When did it start? Where are you from? All that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm from Belfast. I came to the flute at the age of seven because my older sister played the flute and she had joined the 39th Old Boys yeah. uh, with her friend Jennifer, who is Jennifer Sturgeon. Ah, okay, um, I know that, okay. And so she was learning the flute through that and my parents had kind of offered to me at that time I think in school they were starting to say about kids taking up music okay. and they, they sort of offered different instruments and I'd had a wee go at a couple of things. I think I managed to break some strings on a violin. I, like I just, <laughs> I wasn't really interested in anything else except okay. the flute. Okay. I just, I'd heard like my what? sister playing it and I just thought it sounded so beautiful and that's all I wanted yeah. to do basically. And I just took to it really quickly so that was it. And then did you go with uh, the famous Billy Dunwoody then? Yeah, I, I was taken down to have my first flute lesson with Billy which was in the Ivy Bar. And, oh really? Uh, it was at the pub, was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Was that what he normally taught, or was that his? No, no, it wasn't. It was just sometimes he would have gone before band practice. So I think I, I went down on a Wednesday, and 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 met him there. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, like it was probably the only time, but it was just a wee tester, really, to see how it was. And then from that point onwards, lessons were kind of in yeah. his house, or sometimes he would come to okay. me. But yeah, basically, he went he handed me a flute. We did the first three notes, and he said, you know come to the band next week and that was me yeah you know? and what were the lessons like with Billy like I've studied it quite a lot in my thesis on flute bands and everything I never got to meet him obviously um, but he's taught everybody yeah there's so many great flute players I've went through him as well what yeah. were like did he teach from like a flute band style or did he teach from like the normal learner books or the French books or um, I mean he used to mixture things like I remember like at the start how you would have made a sound the articulation was from the flute band style you know that kind of way of you know, tonguing. Yeah, like uh, the forward tongue. Yeah. Do you still do that? I do. Yeah. Yeah, I still do Very that as much, well. Yeah, I think it's great. Do you use it all the time, or do you use no, it just for? Okay. No, just mix and match. Um, I actually think that's kind of one of the beauties of flute playing that you can use a lot of articulation changes. You know. Yeah. But yeah, that things like that I think are from the flute band background. But he had, you know, all of the the moist books and things like that as well. And we would have just gone through different things. He had a lot of. Um, he, he was always very like inspired by opera or things you know so we would sometimes play for a while in the lessons and then sit down and listen to something or listen to somebody amazing okay and I always felt like it was as much about imparting knowledge about the flute as it was about sharing a love of music I know that sounds a bit cheesy but that's yeah but it's totally true yeah Yeah. you know and anytime you progressed with a piece to to a good point he would take me in next door to play for his father who was very elderly at the time and just this sense of it was always about sharing music or communicating music was very important you know you didn't wait yeah. until you were like a teenager to get on the stage yeah, you know yeah, yeah. you would run recitals and so from childhood really um I was kind of made to stand up and play like I, I found that kind of hard as a kid I was quite shy but do you think that's something served you well in the future yeah definitely yeah. you know it kind of it gets you over that wee sense of stage fright which I would have naturally had yeah yeah um just kind of being made to do it before I was too young to question it you yeah know? yeah I just get up and, and and play and do you remember what kind of things you would have played back then because I had a similar background but it was always like the operatic fantasies I was doing a lot of them as like an 11 year old you know yeah. muddling my way through the Carmen fantasy and things like that that was because all that operatic theme seemed to be a very flute band thing at the time a yeah, lot of receiving I mean, a lot of I, I definitely feel like uh I was probably encouraged to play things that were slightly beyond me at times but I think that was kind of his way of, of pushing you on, you know, and dangling the carrot of like, you, you should, or you want to be able to play this yeah. piece. But there was a lot of repertoire which has sort of fallen out of fashion. I, ha- I have all of these old um, pieces at home in my music that like, you just don't see or hear nowadays. You know, we had a massive library of music okay. in the 39th. I mean, huge. Where is that library went, do you know? Uh, the last I heard it was in storage uh, with Colin Fleming and he okay. was sort of minding it for them um, so I, I think that's still the case but I'm not I'd totally love sure. to see some of that as well I'd mm-hmm. love to get my hands on that yeah it's, it's amazing it was, it was just enormous you know and so we were always picking pieces from that so 
Yeah, the, I, I don't know, there was quite a few pieces. I remember one of the pieces that's kind of come back to me recently was a Fantasia on the theme by Martha, which is a, an old-fashioned opera, which, again, nobody really has heard of now, but it was very popular Is it one of those, like, Taffodil ones, or...? No, who's it by? Floto is the name of the person that composed the, the opera okay. originally, and... I remember learning it for a class of James Galway when I was about 11 or 12 and my nana when I went to visit her was singing along the theme with me you know oh, yeah, which yeah. is kind of a lasting memory but like actually nowadays people don't really know that music you know so there, there are things like that well. yeah. yeah is it that kind of music then is it the yeah cheese is probably not the right word but is it the cheesy kind of operatic themes that kind of yeah I don't know I guess we did a mixture yeah I mean that that one has a lasting memory for me I think because I played it in in you know James Galway's masterclass and stuff, but you know we would have done a lot of this sort of core French repertoire and and the classical stuff. You know, yeah. Mozart. Okay, so you're doing that. You're with Billy before you go off to college. Did you get any other teachers? Any other? I did. Yes. So okay. uh, unfortunately, um, Billy died when I was 15. So it was actually just the week that I did my grade eight. So uh-huh. the day I did that was the last time that I saw him. Actually. Oh wow. Okay. Um, in the Ivy Bar again, actually. So, oh, wow, quite yeah. poetic then. Yeah, because yeah, we went for a wee drink afterwards just to uh, to market. Um, so it was the week after that he passed away, and then I was kind of a bit unsure what to do after that. I I didn't really know because he'd been kind of like a sort of grandfather figure for me yeah, or a friend yeah. as well as a flute teacher and it was quite hard to then go and just have flute yeah. lessons with somebody. Especially when you're at that age of 15 you're sort of working things out as well you're yeah. not sure if you're going to pursue it further. Yeah so I, I had lessons for a wee while with Justin Gillespie who uh, I don't know if you've come across Justin. He had he had been in the 39th and he'd gone off to the Guildhall and he'd moved back to Belfast at that okay. stage. Uh, so I had some lessons with him and then I kind of inevitably made the switch to, to Colin when I plucked up the courage, I guess, to do that. You know, it was yeah. I'd had uh, like regular enough interaction with Colin. He'd conducted the band, he'd done classes and yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he would have been a fairly um, important figure, but a slightly intimidating one for me at that age. So it probably yeah. took me a little while to, to kind of work around. So I had a wee period after I turned 15 where... Yeah, it was, I was a bit in between and I didn't much do much, you know, and that's probably quite a crucial period normally for yeah. somebody when they're... It is, know. yeah, I suppose. I had a similar experience because I went to Colin when I was about 15, 16, I switched to Colin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he scared the life out of me. <laughs> I was terrified going to fruit lessons every week. Even now, I'm 30 years old, if I see Colin, I still get a little bit like, <laughs> oh, there he is. Yeah, he still has that. I don't know what it is, maybe it's because he, you know, he had such a career and he went away so much, so there was this aura about him. Mm-hmm. And he is quite an intimidating guy as well. Yeah. I learned so much. I went there for a year of lessons. I learned so much in that year. Yeah. But yeah, he scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, um, you know cushion what he's saying which is a, a great thing about him. Uh, yeah you know, exactly you know exactly what he thinks about something but yeah uh, sometimes I suppose when your confidence is still forming which for me at that stage it would have been it's, it's kind of a hard thing I suppose yeah. to deal with so yeah I, I guess I kind of really started more seriously with him when I was about 17 or so okay. and yeah so I had a year or two with Colton before going to music college and that's it you were off yeah yeah and you went to was it RSMD first or Guildhall first uh, it was RSMD first okay yeah. and why there just apply it uh, everywhere see where you got in or did you particularly fancy Glasgow well yeah I, I was kind of a bit naive at the time I didn't really know much about the music colleges I was kind of a bit um nervous about going away from home for the first time and when I had done the Ulster Youth Orchestra course in the summer before I applied Mm -hmm. there were uh, several principals in the wind section that were studying there so they were in their kind of final year at RSAMD so I kind of had an in I kind of knew people and they told me a lot about it and when I went to audition I met up with some of them and got invited to other classes and things so I think I just felt kind of at home there yeah yeah so it brought something out in me and it was a very good step for me going away from Belfast. I mean, it, I find that quite a difficult thing at the it time. It is, you know? yeah, yeah. Although Glasgow, I feel like there's a lot of similarities at least, but yeah. do you remember your audition for RSMD? I do. Yeah, how did it go? Yeah, really do you remember well, being like really yeah. nervous? Because I did an audition there, it was my first one and I was terrified. I, do you know, I, I was fine actually. I, I met quite an eccentric accompanist. Mr. Langdon, we always called him Mr. Langdon, and okay. uh, he passed away a number of years ago there. But he was such a character; he was amazing. I mean, I, I can't even describe him to you. He was just an absolute one of a kind okay, person. Okay, Scottish fellow. 
Was he Scottish? Uh, he had quite a distinctive English accent, but I'm not actually sure okay, if he was okay. Scottish or not. Um, and he sort of bundled into my room and said, what time is this? You know, and started playing. And I, I don't know, it was just a whirlwind of something. Yeah, you but know? something like a help card. It just yeah, it was, takes the, take the sting out of it. Yeah, I was just not focused on myself. Yeah, exactly. Like, there was this character I was kind of dealing with. So yeah, I played the Bach C major and the... Oh, wow, you really do remember Sonata. that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, okay. I remember it completely. And yeah, I felt I played really well. And actually, do you know, I, I always felt looking back that when I had auditioned in one of the London colleges, that I had the opposite feeling of comfort. I felt so outside of myself in that environment. And I think it was just part of me growing into myself, you know, feeling like I belonged anywhere. I think my first experience yeah. of that and it feeling so alien to my upbringing here that I couldn't quite measure. And it does sometimes impact like how you play, you know, you sometimes Do feel- Do you like it, yeah? Well, for me, yeah. yeah. I think you, you need to kind of own your own space to play well. So I totally agree with that. Yeah, how did you find it, the Glasgow then? I I loved it. I I, I have a real soft spot for Glasgow. I really do. Oh, Glasgow! I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant place. Yeah, like, I adore it. I I made friends kind of instantly in Glasgow, and yeah, and I loved the city. And I I got like um, a part time job uh, on a Saturday working in a cafe, and I kind of loved that as well for like the banter as well. Do you know, yeah. like outside of music college, there's a whole yeah. world of people that you know. I got to dip into as well and yeah it was it was I think that's super important as well is when you're studying a music college it can be such an intimidating place and so scary and especially like maybe for yourself as well but for me I felt like I loved music until I went to college and then I got there and suddenly you're surrounded by it Mm -hmm. you're at the high level and it was good for me to have friends outside college get away from it a little bit of time you know we watch a football match but just get outside music because it was a lot there's a lot and there's no well there wasn't anyway like any sort of students union or any activities like I'd been doing other things for fun I guess before I left but you know there was none of that you know so suddenly it's just music all the time which is generally what you're programmed and wanting to do but you do need some escapism for your sanity Um, and just for a kind of more measured view of the world as well. Yeah that's probably true as well yeah. It's a bit um, tunnel vision sometimes in that kind of environment so yeah I loved it and and I got very fortunate with my teachers there. I'd had um, Richard Blake in my first year, who's uh, an yeah. amazing player, yeah. and and then I switched to David Nicholson, who had yeah. for three years, and yeah. that was that was. Who's really incredible from what I've heard, yeah. yeah. I've heard his plan. I've never actually met him or studied with him, but yeah, I've heard his plan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, Is he in Australia though, or did he go to Australia for a while? David Nicholson, no, he passed away. Also, yeah, recently. Yeah. Uh, how many years ago is that? Now. Uh, would be I came across my studies but I can't remember it, it's actually about 13 years ago oh really wow I, yeah I remember it being a thing yeah 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 well he didn't go to Australia to play at any point did he though I don't think so I feel like I might no. have read about going to what is it the I can't remember now but one of the Australian something orchestras anyway no, he, he was replaced in the Scottish Chamber Orchestra by an Australian player. Maybe that's what it is. So that could have been is. the connection. So the person that, that be, yeah. followed him was from Australia. But um, yeah. yeah that's, that's close enough, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that might be right. Just yeah. to make you feel better. Yeah, yeah. you can see the level of research that goes into this podcast. It's incredibly professional. Okay, so you're at Guildhall. Oh, sorry, you're RSMD and you went to Guildhall after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why Guildhall? Why London? Um, I was just ready for a change. Um, and I had had some classes with Sarah Newbold. Oh, you were with Sarah Newbold? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, basically around my third or fourth year, there were a couple of jobs open in Glasgow at the time and a lot of um, visiting flute players were coming okay, okay. on trial. And um, so one of those positions was had been David's job in, in the chamber orchestra. Yeah. And I think SNO had a job open for a while, but we had a good... Um, sort of woodwind department they kind of at the time they were trying to get as many people in for classes as they could so that those couple of years we actually had like visiting classes every couple of weeks from people and it was amazing and Sarah Newbold came a couple of times and then I organized some extra lessons because I found her so uh, great to study with um, with her and I it was really that that kind of made me think about Guildhall up until that point I had been thinking that I wanted to go elsewhere in Europe um, oh really? Study, okay. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to do something different. I was actually looking at some places in Germany at that point, oh, wow. and I wasn't really thinking about London. Um, I think, as I mentioned, like my experience auditioning in London before hadn't really been a great one. Um, just my own perspective of it, yeah, or yeah. what I felt about it. Um, 
but I hadn't actually auditioned at Guildhall the first time around so I think whenever I came to audition there and I found it really it felt like a really progressive open-minded institution and really kind of forward thinking yeah. it felt like the place for me like I was already kind of getting into contemporary music and stuff like that at the time yeah and I was going to ask you a lot really, about that as well yeah you know doing a lot of interesting things um so yeah that kind of pushed me and, and yes would Ian Clark have been teaching there already at that yeah. time yeah okay so yeah if you're into contemporary music obviously having Ian Clark knocking about it was and, and I was kind of like I said I, I'd had the lessons with Sarah I knew that was going to be great and I had listened to Sam Coles quite a lot I hadn't met oh, him yet but I'd been listening well. and he was a visiting teacher and and he ended up being a quite an important teacher for me that year as well. Oh, do you study with Sam Coles as well? Mm. Wow, you got a hell of a pedigree. You didn't know all that. <laughs> wow. How did you find studying with Sam? I loved it. Yeah. He's incredible as a player. He plays a does he play a Louis Lockflute as well? Or uh-huh. he did for a long yeah. time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he and he also actually I think it's that Louis Lot had belonged to David Nicholson. Oh really? Yeah, okay. that's how he bought it off, so there was a nice wee connection there. But it's beautiful, yeah. yeah um, <laughs> Sam was brilliant. Sam's quite uh, intensive to study with you know um yeah. i don't know if it was because at the time he was still playing in the orchestra in bordeaux and he would come over for a few days in london and teach life, and then it? sometimes so the lessons might have been you know like not like an hour a week or something it might have been like just a few hours at a time yeah, or something okay. and and he would kind of be a bit more in the french tradition you know he would sort of allow you to stay on if there's somebody having a lesson after and just listen ah, yeah, and so you, that yeah. sort of thing kind of happened more and I find that really great learning curve you know actually just watch and there were other really great players studying with him at yeah. the time outside of Guildhall as well so it was yeah it was really interesting and he was kind of all invested I think that's the thing that made the difference and okay. the teachers that I've had that have had the most impact on me have been people that were just so invested in you as a person, your development, okay. not just your actual flute yeah, playing. Okay, you're really okay. interested in okay. what you have to say. Yeah. So there's people that kind of the clock will go round and they teach you what you need to know. And then they'll and that's stick it. a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he wasn't like that, you know. So that's really interesting as well. Yeah. I'm just curious, how much of your playing now do you think has came from those teachers? Do you reckon you can still pinpoint and say, oh, that's a bit of Sam there, that's a bit of Sarah? Or has it became a bit of a mishmash at this point? I don't know. I, like little things, like taglines stick in your head that people yeah, have Yeah, still. You still yeah, get that, totally, yeah. yeah. And I love, you know, I mean, I play a lot now from iPads and things, and, and I love actually just lifting out old books and I see people's writing on it. It's partly why I keep a lot of things. Beautiful, you know? yeah, it is. Um, so I don't know if it's like a conscious effort on my part to remember the things that people have yeah. said. Um, but I find myself bringing it out in lessons for people. And, and I also have learned a lot from um, teaching that I wouldn't recommend as well. Like I, I've had things in lessons where I think I'm not yeah. going to do that, you know, and I would yeah. sort of say that to students that are, you know, upcoming as well. Okay, well, this was said to me, but let's not do that because yeah. I've kind of learned from it that way, yeah. you know. But yeah, I, yeah I, don't, I don't know how much of it you could see in somebody's playing. Because from my perspective, we're all individuals and we all play the way we're going to play. Very true, yeah. But I think it does feed into your how you get there, I suppose. You know? Yeah, but there is times when I'm playing, I'll go, oh yeah, I could, I, especially Colin. There's certain things in my playing that I go, yeah, that's that's pure Colin. That's <laughs> came straight from there. I don't know if it's, it's not, I'm not copying him per se, but it's more, yeah, as you said, a tagline or something. There's a bell going off my head going, oh, I can hear Colin's voice yeah. reminding me about something. I find that fascinating. Um, I also love like tracing back my teachers and their teachers and their teachers' teachers and feeling part of this like yeah. tradition. But obviously for you then you've got Sam Coles who studied with was he with Gaston Crudel, I think, in Paris? But then further back, so you got remember, everyone there. Yeah, I know. And David had obviously studied with everybody as well, you know, so it's it's nice to have that. Oh man, actually there. I have to ask. Uh, James Galway. So first encounter with him was when you were eleven, you said? No, I had had encounters before. James Galway had um been always very generous with his time and he came over to Belfast with the 39th you know and he would like often drop in and do little classes and um, the one when I was about 12 was his big master class that he ran okay. every year but for one year he ran it in Dublin uh, oh, whereas okay. it's always usually held in Switzerland but um, so that was kind of a big deal because there were a lot of professional flute players there but no he would kind of come and pop up my first uh, interaction I, I remember kind of clearly because I was just playing my scales for Billy and his phone rang and he just said just keep practicing there and I was playing away oh. and um, and he's chatting away and then he says come on 
here talk to somebody who's on the phone and I was only like eight or nine or something okay. and I had a chat with him basically and I didn't know we, who he was. Okay, you, you know? didn't do it that point. No, okay. I didn't do it. Like, um, because that time you would have been at like Galway Media as well. Like it would have been... I know, I was just too young. Yeah. Like I was yeah. just didn't know anything at that point and uh, he told me, you know, the skills were sounding good and I should really keep practicing them wow. and <laughs> that I could um, come over sometime and play for him in Switzerland and I was like, oh, that's all lovely. It was really nice. So I got in the car after and told my dad who nearly had a heart attack, yeah, you know, okay. um, you know, this sudden, yeah, interaction was kind of amazing, but um, no, he, he would have dropped in with the 39th and we, we had opportunities to play for him. That's not to say that it was like casual. It was always a big thing. Like, okay, when, I was just you know, the after that yeah. point, you know, I would have gone to his concerts and I would have become more aware of his okay. reputation and seen him play and see how amazing he was. And I, you know, and he was quite intimidating in certain situations. You know, he would have insisted that everybody played by memory when they played yeah. for him. And some people find that difficult. Um, I was always okay with it, I think. But, well, you know, so, yeah. he, he would have... Um, kind of been quite harsh on people that maybe hadn't prepared okay, or had okay. tried to get away without doing that and yeah it was it was kind of intense as well but like really inspiring yeah I can get that do you remember like buying any records back then of Jimmy Galway or um I mean I have all the records now but like do you remember buying them um no that is like I remember like that was probably the first fruit record one of the first record first fruit records I would have bought would have been James Galway yeah. just because if you're in Belfast and everyone's talking about it you just feel like you have to be involved in it yeah I'm pretty sure my sister or like there would there would have been ones in the house you know but I don't know like I had access to so much music to listen to through Billy I, I don't remember having to sort Recordings. of go out and seek it out yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah he would have just like that would have been fairly common that we would have listened to music in the lesson then he would have loaned me some tapes to oh, take home okay, I'm okay. that old it was tapes you know but like he would have just given that and I would have had a listen and brought them back the next yeah. week and, well, one of the questions I was dying to ask you is do you remember your first flute record the first one you bought or the first one featuring flute do you have an image of going yeah or the first one you remember even listening to going oh I mean it's it's bound to be him I actually just can't remember really okay I, I can't remember the first I remember the first classical CD that I ever got what was that it was the Tchaikovsky Romeo and Juliet overture um, and, and other overtures, but I was learning that one for the National Youth Orchestra at the time. Oh. And I think I was about 12 and I remember listening to it and it just like blew my mind actually. I was just... Do you remember who the orchestra was? On that CD? Yeah. I don't, but I could like, I could show you the cover. It's like imprinted in my brain, you know? So you had a physical copy of it as well then? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you remember um, your first non-classical album? Yeah, it was the Hits Tape 7. Like, that's what I call music, that one? No. A version, so the the, the, the Hits was another version of... So, like, yeah, just like the music. pop songs of the year? Like, yeah, the pop songs of the year. It had, like, okay. the Jackson 5 and, yeah. Okay, I gotta look that up if I know it's all done. It's a cracker, <laughs> it's got great songs yeah. on it. I... I I found it in vinyl form after and I have that copy now as well. You still so. have it? Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you remember uh, Annie's song coming out? Yeah. James? Okay. Mm-hmm. What was that like? I don't know if I remember it coming out. That's. I just remember it being played all the time. It was sort of everywhere. Because um, I was a little bit too young to really remember it coming out. But when did it come out? I think it was 94, I want to say. Okay. Did an episode of this recently. I think it was 94. It might have been a bit earlier. I know that he was just above the Rolling Stones in the, the charts. The Stones got fourth that year. He got to number three. And I think number one... No, it would have been way earlier because number yeah, was, one was... I was going to say, Greece. I, I thought it was the no, 70s. No, it must have been the 70s. Yeah, number one was Greece. Yeah, so yeah. it kind of predates me. But it was still like a massive piece. You know, everybody was playing it. And, yeah, like and that's kind of like, you know, as soon as you played that, people mentioned James Galway. You know, it was kind of It was of straight away, card. yeah. Or people would ask you to play it. Like, you know... When I was doing recitals for things for years, it would have been like a request. Can you do any song? Mad, you know? Yeah. But actually, like I still really love it. It's a gorgeous yeah. tune. When was the last time you played it? Um, not that long ago. Cause I, really? I, yeah, because like um, so my daughter has started the flute and she's she's going through the wee abracadabra book at the moment. Oh yeah. And it's yeah. in there, you know. And I was telling her it's she hasn't quite conquered any song yet, but you know I was talking to her about it, so I played it for her. And oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I still love it. Do you, would you schedule it in a program? Would you ever play at a concert these days? I have never 
played it in a professional program. Seriously? Yeah, no, I wow, haven't. Okay. Um, but you've planted a seed now, so maybe I will. Oh, it's a nice wee throwback to throw that one in here. <laughs> I used to get asked about it all the time. Like, it kind of got on my nerves as well when I was a kid because I didn't really know what it was, but I played it so many times it drove me mad. Yeah. But yeah, on records then, I think I've got here, you got your first, you made your first record in 2006. Um, okay, I can't actually remember the dates as well as you have researched, but yeah, yes. No, it's just the level of professionalism with this podcast. Yeah, I've got it all listed out, don't Great, worry. Yeah. I've got it all listed out. I actually listened to it recently, so it's the recital album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to ask you about that because you have another album out later, they're both on Spotify, and there's a lot of parallels between the two, but the first one came out in 2006, there is the back E minor album as well, isn't it? Carbon Fantasy as well, mm-hmm. arrangement for foot guitar. Yeah. That's quite a brave programme. Do you remember like the process of choosing the, the repertoire for that? Why you chose the rep? Yeah, I was doing a lot of flute and guitar concerts at the time. We, we had formed a duo at college. And when I left college, you know, it started building up quite a sort of busy um, career, I suppose, doing, doing that and had been touring quite a lot. And it felt to me at the time uh, when I was back living in Scotland then that there were a lot of opportunities uh, to perform for chamber music series or festivals okay. that featured chamber music but they hadn't kind of um, embraced much outside of the string quartet at that point okay. okay so it was still sort of brave new ground to feature you know a different type of ensemble and it kind of I don't know it felt at the time like it was embraced elsewhere in the world a little bit more easily but that Maybe the UK was still quite conservative about what it regarded chamber music as. So, I mean, yeah, it sounds a bit mad now, but that's nearly 20 years ago. And I I guess it was, you were trying to break in and and a lot of places that I I sent proposals to didn't have any kind of tradition with that at all. So I suppose at the time we were trying to do something that would have a wide appeal and quite a broad uh, range of repertoire and just repertoire that we really liked. I mean... It, it did mean that I ended up playing the Carmen Fantasy more times than I can possibly tell yeah, you. Yeah, and with guitar as well, that's incredible. Yeah, it's great. It works really well with guitar because it's a more Spanish instrument. Yeah, So true. I actually then felt on occasion when I ha- had to play it with piano, it felt a bit stifled to me, like slightly too classical. Really? You know, okay. Yeah, okay. because I, I guess that there's more techniques you can do in the guitar that make it sound Spanish and you can yeah, kind of play off that a bit. Yeah, they give a bit more freedom then, maybe mm-hmm. in that sense. That's really interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose the the title even just came from that the recital it just it was kind of uh, a version of a, a recital that we would typically have and given recorded, at the time yeah, yeah okay. you know um, have you listened to the album recently do you no. ever go back and listen to your own stuff do you listen to your own stuff at all um not not often no. okay no. so you haven't listened to that record in a long time then though i don't think so um i i think i've probably listened to do you know what track I really love from that record is the Gentle Dreams one by yeah, yeah. Um, Dave Heath and I remember recording that because I mean obviously when you're recording like Bach and Carmen you're kind of aware that like all the flute players that are going to listen to this know oh, those pieces know. in depth yeah. right so I think I was probably quite careful about playing those that's, uh, I suppose that's one thing I think of that recording is it's, it's probably slightly careful but it's the stage I was at I was you know, trying to make sure everything was yeah. correct. It's maybe not the most brave version of how I would play those things, but you know, I'm still kind of, I'm still largely quite proud of it. But the gentle dreams, I remember, uh, we were about to play that in the recording session, and I think we said to the engineer, "Oh, don't hit record yet. We just need to have a quick run through okay. this before we do it." And he said, "You know, I'll just leave it running just in case." And we played it, and, and it was just the version. There you are. See, I love that. And that's really nice. And it was yeah. just that was it, and it was perfect. And I just I really loved the piece, and that was our own arrangement of the piece as well, because it was originally for uh, flute and piano. So there you are. Yeah, you're saying as well about like the the pressure of playing, not pressure, but the yeah the idea that when you play back, when you play Mozart, these things that it's been done so many times. There's a lot of runes. We've talked about this before, but that's one of the things I love about contemporary music mm-hmm. is that you don't have those constraints. And I had to find some kind of way of getting all the contemporary music. So let's yeah, so uh, <laughs> contemporary music. Obviously, you're a bit of a specialist. So where did that start? At music college, um, because I befriended composers who asked me to play music, and that was kind ah. of the start of it for me. And and then suddenly I was encountering music that was um, much harder than, than other stuff, but that I was interested in. And I just found that really exciting. Um, Were you interested straight away? Like you found it yeah. okay straight away, yeah? Because yeah. I find a lot of people need to get the, 
a bit of a gateway drug into it in some kind of way and ease themselves into it. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's a gateway drug, it's just finding some relevance to you. So for me to know people that were writing music, that yeah. felt relevant to me because you're part of the process of creating music That's as really it is, okay? Yeah. Um, and I, I sometimes, I was trying to think, like, what are other things that would get you into it? Like, minimalist music was something that would have got me into it, yeah. you know? Um, it's probably slightly more at the accessible end sometimes, but it also, like, relates to other types of music that we, you know, Yeah, I would have heard that like, as well, yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, just that re- very real being part of the process and seeing what people That's wanted to do. Yeah. And, how, and problem solving, I suppose, for me was interesting, you know, not just... I don't know, you know, when you go to lessons, it's like, here's how you play a flute. But for me to be part of the the question, how do we work around this? How am I going to do this? And me trying to figure that out myself was like really, oh, yeah. I don't know, it just kind of inspired me, I suppose. And it pushed me a lot um, into the music. And I, I find sometimes with contemporary music that sometimes if you come to it with the most recent, it has more relevance because it's kind of... It's maybe responding to what's happening in the world now, yeah. or to where our instrument is at right now, or how people see our That's instrument. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it's just you know with the received information that we all have of all the types of music you know that have been around. Whereas sometimes if people try and get into it with the sort of earlier twentieth century stuff. That's kind of a pushback from stuff before, and it, it almost bears no relevance to where we're at yeah, now. Okay. You know, and it's I find that sometimes harder to sort of get into than stuff that's being written right that's now. Really you know, so well. I, I kind of I, I I love just actually listening to a lot of stuff that's very current as okay. well. You know, and seeing seeing what there is. But um, the only issue, I find, not issue, the only thing I find difficult about listening to very current music is I'm not not sure where to start. First of all, and there's no degree of like. I wouldn't say degree of quality, but we don't know. I don't know if it's good or not yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have someone else's opinion. That sounds terrible to say, but sometimes you know when you're listening to Mozart, you know, if I don't like a piece of Mozart, I go, "What's well, Mozart?" There's something in there you have to find because. Well, you see, I kind of don't because I just feel like if I don't like something, for whatever reason, I feel like that's okay. Like there's still crap Mozart. He still wrote yeah. music that wasn't. I mean, it'll be constructed in a way that is appealing. But it's kind of a budget version of him. It doesn't stand up to other stuff. That much I agree with, yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, it's still superbly crafted, but that doesn't mean that it's incredible. And I think it's okay to say that or to have that internal reaction to something. Yeah. Do you know, actually, one example of that, I have to say, the Mozart for Concerto, the first three bars of it, of the GB into Concerto, I think it's terribly written. I've never liked that. Okay. But if I have to like it, I'm I a don't, I don't, you have to find it, though. No. <laughs> well, you have to find a way because you have to play it, right? Yeah. That's your job to find a way around it. But, like, you know, the the flute quartets, for example, there's three of them that are they're fine. Like, and, yeah. and because of the nature of 18th century music, it doesn't hurt the ears. It's just fine. It's, but I find it a wee bit on the verge of wallpaper music. I, it doesn't engage me at all, whereas the D major quartet is it's just... Stunning. Yeah, right? It's something else. Start yeah. to finish, just yeah. one of the best pieces. So, like... I feel like it's okay to have a reaction to different types of music and and I think that's the thing. I feel like sometimes in music we're given the expectation that we should like something. I, I don't feel like it matters in a way if I if I don't like something. I still engage with it, it still still stimulates Which is a different me. Thing, yeah, and, yeah. And and I think sometimes when I'm listening to like I would listen to Radio Three quite a lot and some of their nighttime programme would have like quite a bit of new music on it. Okay. And I just have a very just honest reaction to it, you know. If that's I that's a very pure reaction as well. Yeah, it'd be nice to get rid of that. Yeah, like yeah. The, for me, I mean, personally, to get rid of like my stereotypes and my, my ideas around music. Sometimes I'm a bit weighed down by that. I feel like I remember I once I had a lesson in Paris with a teacher, and I was playing one of the Bach sonatas. Like obviously, as a dramatic flourish, she took her pencil and scrawled through the name Bach. I was like, right, forget it's back, just play it. Yeah. And it does totally change your attitude to it. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's not back anymore. It's not this thing yeah. of Johann Sebastian back and the king of music. It's just, it's a tune. Yeah, and I think that allows you to take ownership of the thing, which I think is a massively that, important yeah. thing. I think if you're the person standing up playing, you have to have ownership over what you're doing. Yeah. You, know, you have to feel like, I mean, first of all, I think you have to feel like you know it that well. Yeah. But secondly for you to convey it to somebody else it has to feel like it's coming from you and sometimes if you hold people almost in too much reverence it stops you from doing that you know yeah, so you it kind of stilts you a little, little bit yeah. 
Um, when you said about like, I don't know if it's good or not yet, I, I think that's something that interests me as well, because I think sometimes over the course of time, people get remembered for things not because it's good at times, you know, like look at how many women composers have been overlooked Very through true, the course yeah. of history, yeah. okay? And sometimes it's like, there's political reasons why certain things true, are yeah. remembered or seen as good or have a lasting impression. So I don't know, I suppose I try not to get too hung up. There's obviously precedent for things that stand the test of time because there's a lot in there. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't get that's very too true, hung yeah. up on that. No, that's very true, yeah, probably, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why I think like that. Sometimes, yeah, the influence of it sometimes just weighs in on me. The influence of like being Mozart, being Bach, but I probably should just judge it more for what it is itself. Yeah. With contemporary music, I find that, I wouldn't say difficult, I've always enjoyed playing contemporary music. And the second, to be honest, I don't think I've ever played a piece of music that I didn't like after I played it. Mm-hmm. As soon as I play it, I get it, that's yeah. it. I mm-hmm. enjoy the process of being part of the music, of playing it, and then it's fine. But yeah, listening to it, I don't know if I've been listening to a lot of contemporary music that I haven't played. Or if I go to listen to it, I would go dig out the flute part and follow along. Yeah. That gives me a bit more yeah, for relation me, to it. I probably listen to it more live than I do sitting on records. Oh, of course, yeah. Because um, I find the experience of it live is, is something a that's part beast. of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so that kind of, that does bring it to life for me. And I, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking like there, there's sometimes a story behind things. And I, I often think that we maybe construct a story that isn't there. You know, the composers maybe have a different perspective, but that's almost okay. As the person telling the story and the music, I think it's okay if you create your own narrative at times. Um, So if that kind of helps you in. I I have done quite a lot of concerts over the years in different chamber groups where it was for a fairly traditional audience and I can't resist playing contemporary music in that because I feel I feel really conflicted about turning okay. up somewhere and just playing loads of music by dead people and I love all of that music yeah I absolutely love it it really excites me but I feel like we have a kind of responsibility to music now yeah. to, to share that as well so I would have always done that and not in a tokenistic way but you'd be surprised how people engage with it differently and in a last year I did um, earlier this year of underrepresented composers like some of the more challenging pieces that we played I, I would think more challenging for the audience I mean like were the ones that they responded to the most okay. you know I was kind of almost okay. taken aback I thought they might have in terms them. of a positive response yeah okay you know I sort of thought okay we're pushing our luck with this one it might sort of yeah. alienate some people and, and they were the pieces sometimes that like people wrote to us about afterwards so um, that's super interesting that's something I was dying to ask you about because Obviously, you play with the Harmonian Ensemble, yeah. the Harmonian Solos Ensemble, sorry. They've been going for just over 10 years, I think, really, right. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, it's incredible to have contemporary music in Belfast, but I remember that group starting up and thinking, there's no way Belfast is ready for contemporary music. What were the challenges at the start of getting contemporary music into Belfast? Um, I mean, luckily for me, at that point, I was uh, just the flute player, so I wasn't responsible for those challenges at the time. But I would say it was really probably about shaking up the awareness the consciousness of the group you know okay and i think whilst there there was a community of composers here they were all having to seek opportunities elsewhere yeah uh so there was a real buzz actually at the the start of people being able to get their music played here you know we played an incredible amount of local composers music um but we kind of find that like actually our audience quite quickly drew from different sort of circles you know it wasn't necessarily just traditional music audience okay there were quite a lot of people that would have come in through like the visual arts or dance really or okay. yeah and i think sometimes the other art forms are generally a bit better at embracing contemporary you know in general yeah okay um, and you know some of the things that we would have done over the years where we collaborated outside of music kind of brought in a lot of different people um so yeah, there there has become like a kind of a cult following, like a sort of regular. Really, yeah, it's really taken off at the minute. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I'm such a fan of it. I love contemporary music, and to see it do so well in Belfast is, it's great. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like any other city of our size, would have this by by nature. You know, it's it's kind of an important thing. I suppose what I would like to see is just increased awareness and more pride in it because I feel very proud of the music that gets created here uh, even the composers yeah. that aren't living here anymore I feel very proud that we have 
produced composers that are elsewhere doing their yeah. thing and I feel like it's important for for us to represent uh, and for people here also just to be aware of that like. yeah I could totally get that um, any highlights so far from with the last time yeah with Hard Rain um, yeah the Piero Lunaire that we've done a couple of oh, times yeah. has been a highlight we did one of them recently as well yeah, yeah. the one that we recorded last year was, was a real highlight I say last year it was actually only just was this year, earlier think, yeah. this year yeah, yeah. Um, a lot's happened since then, but yeah, yeah, it was it was really incredible because I it was, love that piece. I adore that piece. Oh yeah, I know it's that's one of the things that I think stands the test of time because like we toured that piece before and yet I felt like I was learning it all over again. There's just so yeah. much in it. Yeah, you know, so you're constantly stimulated even when you've played it like numerous times and it's very challenging. But there's there's a there's lot, a lot. of the flute in it as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, you kind of have to be multiple things you know but it's 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 brilliant so that was a highlight and i loved our uh, steve reich uh double sextet that we did um mm. with maiden voyage dance particularly when we did it with the dance company it was really incredible um and the visual arts collaborations we've done i've really enjoyed those we had a couple of um like one at the school of art and they were creating um art in response to morton feldman i don't yeah. know if you listen to his music but i know of it yeah 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 I recommend it sometimes for like you know in a in a bath or something or quiet I mean you really need yeah. to chill like it's beautiful but yeah we had a, a beautiful concert there so yeah we've done a lot of cool things um, and you're in. just announcing the schedule for next year yes is that release is that public mm-hmm. information yet? yeah yeah okay yeah. so it's not an exclusive then no sorry uh, do you want to what's on the what's on the menu for this year I've already read I, yeah you know I know a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah so I forgot to mention another highlight. It was like going to Chile. Oh, go I mean, me. how could you not mention? Oh, you went to South Chile. America. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that was amazing. But how did that come about? How did you get over to Chile? We had given a concert at New Music Dublin. Uh, we've performed there a couple of times, and hopefully, will uh, again next year. And they um, they have a sort of networking event around that, and so there are basically just different people in the audience okay. there. And, and one of the people runs that festival in Chile, and, and really enjoyed the concert, so invited. Yeah, so and um, we're hoping to go back there in twenty twenty five. That is mental. They're they're organising that. So have you played in Chile before? No, I had I had been elsewhere in, in South America actually, but never to Chile, and it's so beautiful. It was it was incredible. So yeah, oh, that is a that lot was, of fun as well. That was amazing. Um, but yeah, onto this season. This season, um, sadly, no South American ventures this particular okay, season. Yeah. But uh, lots of cool stuff. So we have our launch on the twenty sixth of October. Yeah, that's next week. Well, no, not next week when this podcast comes out. Sorry, by this point, it'll probably already be done. <laughs> Sorry, do you want me to change? Yeah, that? we can say how we talked about it. How, how did it go? Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, of course it was. I was there. So that was incredible. No, go ahead. So twenty sixth of October. What's what's the launch then? So the launch is. Uh, well, I, I called it a concert of connections. I kind of wanted to keep connections with people that we've worked with before. So our feature composer this year is Greg Caffrey. So uh-huh. he's from Belfast and he, up until this point, had been artistic director. He oh, founded okay. the ensemble, but he recently turned 60 and we kind of wanted to celebrate him and play some okay. of his music. Okay. So we're playing a piece by him. That. Yeah, I know, it's, it's great. And he was always quite reserved about programming his own music. I mean, it did appear and he wrote several pieces for us, but it's it's a lot easier to program somebody else's yeah, music exactly, on your own exactly, isn't it? So, yeah. so we have a piece that he'd written in our first year and then a brand new commission by Raymond Dean who's a very important Irish composer who has written a piece dedicated to Greg as well so that's kind of oh, either end of the yeah, concert you okay. know, which is nice and then we have some younger composers coming through yeah, I saw you guys had a grant or scholarships as well offered to young composers. Yeah, we do a couple of things. So we're supported by PRS Foundation, yeah. and their scheme allows us to commission three upcoming composers. That's yeah. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. So they have all just completed their pieces. Those three composers they'll be performed in January. So okay. our January concert is called Ink Still Wet because it's basically all brand new music. So okay. there's eight world premieres in that Whoa. concert, which is kind okay. of crazy. Um. So there's that, and we also help run the Peter Rosser events. So Peter Rosser was a composer yeah. who was based here, who sadly passed away, and his legacy is um, is is well part of his legacy is this uh, is this prize yeah. that we've run. Uh, so we will have submissions uh, currently year. being written for that. So yeah, they'll all get premiered. But yeah, there's there's quite a lot of big events. The I suppose in my head the the 
December event, which is all based on things around the natural world, is really appealing. And then our International Women's Day, which is all music featuring electronics. That, okay. That's going to be in the Sonic Lab in March. Um, and then at the end, we have two concerts and galleries. So I'm kind of excited about that because... Well, which galleries? I love galleries. Uh, so Hugh Lane Gallery in Dublin, which is a okay. beautiful space. And uh, you should. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. And... Um, in Ulster Museum, which is just one of my favourite places. Oh, Ulster Museum is great, yeah. I, I, it is great. I'm a big fan of it as well. Oh, I can't get enough of it. I think it, I sang you know? there once with school choir. Like did school, you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't do much singing anymore. But, yeah. but I did at that time. I yeah, mean, it was a great space for making music sing, as well. You know, it's, yeah. No, I'm not going to come along and sing it. Well, I'll spare you that. <laughs> yeah, well, we thought, you know, we're going to make the most of being in there that day. So we have our evening concert, but we're going to do a sort of residency through the day and basically different people from the ensemble will pop up in different okay. spaces around the gallery ah, cool. at different times and play little solos. And I, I feel like that's kind of a nice way for us to engage with more people in Are a different way. Are you playing a solo? Yeah. What have you got? Can you tell us? I can tell you. I, I actually have, well, I have these brand new pieces that have just been written for me by Jane O'Leary. Okay. Um, who, I don't know if you know Jane, but that's she's familiar, no. uh, a great composer. She's Irish-American. And she's written these three solo pieces, all based on winged creatures. Okay. Uh, so there's a bee, which is currently being written, and a butterfly. Okay. And, and I'm thinking of, of airing those on this particular Cool, occasion, okay. So. so like little short movements for each one? or Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. There's three short pieces. So Have you got to see the sheet music for any of them yet? Yeah, yeah I have two of them. So um, yeah, yeah, they're beautiful. I've played some Tricky. other works by Jane before. Well, yeah, but um, when you say wing creature, it means you're like thinking, yeah, it's gonna be high, it's gonna be fast, it's gonna be. There's a bit of that, but I mean, I don't know. Jane has a very uh, natural, organic way of writing for the flute. I've played her music quite a few times and okay. um, uses any techniques in a really, I don't know, organic way. It feels very natural, you know. You, you okay. sometimes uh, have pieces that are written by non-flute players that feel a bit more like uh, you have to work around a wee bit yeah, more. But I've had that a few times. Yeah. yeah. No, I and and I was a little bit part of the process. Like she sent the first piece to me, um, just after it'd been written for some feedback. So there, there was a bit of that, and that's that's part of the fun thing as well yeah, about contemporary yeah. music. You know, you are part. I of I totally agree with that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have to ask it because we haven't got a huge amount of time left, but I have to ask about the Irish Memory Orchestra as well. Okay. That is a fascinating thing. Can you just tell everybody what the Irish Memory Orchestra is and what you do with them? Yeah, uh, so this was set up by Dave Flynn, the composer and guitarist, and basically there's, I mean initially it was sort of mostly traditional musicians and some classical, but okay. it kind of um, branched out a bit because some of the people playing were also working in jazz and things, yeah. and, um, and just yeah, different styles of music, so we have uh, music primarily based on traditional music, do you need me to stop my phone, I've just realised that Oh, it's right, don't worry. Sorry. Sorry. Um, the professionalism of this podcast, it's fine. We're used to this kind of stuff here. <laughs> there. Um, so sorry, yeah, it's primarily music based on like traditional Irish music, but okay. in larger constructs, so symphonies or concertos yeah. based around that. Um, and then we've done different collaborations with uh, so, sort of celebrities of Irish music, I guess. Like Give Martin us a few, Hayes drop a few names. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, we did some concerts with Martin Hayes and, and also with Marcin O'Connor. Um and yeah, so really, yeah. great. But and you're playing with them again this year, yeah. You've got yeah, something coming up soon, we, haven't you? Yeah, on Saturday actually. Yeah, I have a concert, so there's a quartet of us are doing that. Um, yeah, we've done a, a few things last year. There were some of us involved in a children's music festival, okay. uh, just outside Dublin. So we did some stuff with that earlier this year again, and then we had a kind of tenth uh, season celebration concert at the National oh, so Concert Hall. Ten years old as well. Yes. So yeah. around the same time as Hard Rain. I know, yeah, it's kind of wow. funny. Both Did you play things. with them from the start as well? Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. that was a bit of a busy year for you back then. It, yeah, it was, but you know, I had been living away and doing a lot of things away, and I was always very keen to get back home um, and having these opportunities that were just massively appealing for me musically were, were brilliant, you yeah, know. So yeah. for quite a bit, I was kind of back and forth and, and then finally moved home a few years ago, basically. But um, yeah, no, it's. I suppose the clue in the, is in the name, Irish Memory Orchestra. You know, it's pr primarily Irish music and play by memory. Yeah, which is so impressive for well, ensembles of that size to play for memory. Yeah, it's it's tough, you know, like especially when you have bigger pieces and and especially when you're not necessarily playing the tune in a piece. You know, it's yeah, one thing to yeah. to remember a melody, but another thing when you're playing inner parts and things. But um, yeah, I. 
like before I did it, I would have traditionally played recitals by memory. You okay. Know, um, yeah, we talked. Yeah, you said earlier, so it wasn't really. It's something uh, you kind of used to, yeah. Yeah, although it does take a bit of work, like it does take time. Yeah, I can understand doing a recital for memory, but playing like a second flute part, for example, or something yeah. with harmony parts, I suppose it's that would be that would be very difficult. I think it is. It it is a bit difficult, but you know the thing that I realized at the very first concert, I remember the feeling of it because up until that point it was like about putting the music together and you know internally can I remember all this stuff you know but actually in the gig when I was playing and I was looking around at all these people and you're just looking at each other because there's yeah, nothing else yeah. to look at um, the feeling was so intense and it was so alive that I just thought this is magical this and you think that is unique not uniquely but partly down to playing from memory it gives something Ma- uh, massively down yeah. to it yeah okay um, I remember doing this like chat to people I met in a pub in the west of Ireland one time before a gig that we were doing and, and he was saying what so what is it about this group and I said basically what I said to you and, yeah. and we were playing by Mary and he was just like well what's big about that that's how you play music you know <laughs> yeah um, but it, it's kind of you true, do forget you know? that yeah but yeah, yeah we're and, the only ones who don't play for Mary as classical musicians yeah. I know yeah and, and it's to our detriment sometimes like I think what's uh, what's good about playing classical music and sometimes especially if you're doing lots of different things as yeah. I tend to be doing now it's like you have to learn it so quickly but in a way it's almost in and out before you've really got into it and I find when yeah. you're playing by memory you're like so much more in depth how you learn and you relate to the music as well yeah. I, feel, yeah I feel much more connected to the music when I do it from memory but I would usually be the kind of person to keep like a, the sheet music up just in case I think that's you know, that's fine. No, I mean net. a wee safety net, you know. But like the way you'll convey it to other people as well is so much more meaningful. You know, yeah. I always make a wee analogy to my students when I'm trying to sort of push them off the ledge of you know go try this by yeah. memory. Um, that like if you went to see somebody acting and they had their lines, you immediately feel less engaged or you don't believe them as much in their that's character because they're yeah. holding lines. You that's know, very true. whereas if they're just delivering it, and and I think the same about music. You know we feel this fear about if we make a mistake but actually probably the greater fear should be that we're not truly playing the music beautifully put yeah totally agree with that yeah um yeah two things i want to talk about before we go um what's left what's on the bucket list for you what do you want to do musically Um, it seems like you're just getting up and going here with the last 10 years everything's happening but is there anything you really want to achieve anything anything you thought yeah i'd love to get that or any targets with hard rain maybe as well well, yeah, I mean, I feel like with Hard Rain, we're kind of on the brink of doing more stuff internationally. There's things in planning at the moment, you know, for two and three years ahead. And I think that's a really exciting time. Yeah. Um, primarily our focus is here and what we do in Belfast. But, you know, I feel like for the composers here and for music here, like to have that exposure internationally would be a big thing for us. So th- there's kind of that side to it. Um, for me... Personally, like I've just recorded a new album, so I'm going to be releasing that fairly really? soon. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, solo flute album. So just solo flute. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I Can mean, you tell us what's on it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I've I've got a kind of um, I don't know how how would you say it like a, a double side to this thing. So okay. One half of it's baroque music on my wooden flute, which is uh, the Marin Marais variations. I know it well. Yeah. Yeah, and the solo Bach uh, partita. And then the wow. other half is contemporary music on my other flute, actually on multiple flutes, and that's the Steve Reich Vermont Counterpoint yeah. and Great John piece, Buckley's yeah. Constellations, which is another huge multiple flute piece. Okay. And when's that coming out? Have you got a release idea? Uh, I don't really, because I, I'm making it on vinyl, which takes a little bit longer wow, to make. Okay. So uh, sometime in this winter it'll be it'll So is be it recorded released. and all, yeah? It's recorded and all, yeah, just final sort of little touches. Wow. Is that an exclusive the then? Have we got an exclusive? That is an exclusive, I, guess, I need yeah. I need a one. You now they've got one. one where you can go with that. Yeah. That's incredible, wow. Yeah, I'm excited about that. A solo like, flute record as well, that's that's yeah. a big deal, yeah. Yeah, I, it's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Like, actually, outside of the albums you'd mentioned, I, I had recorded other chamber music albums back in the day, you know, like with quartets and things. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. And obviously with Hard Rain we have, but I, I've always played and been interested in solo flute music so it's kind of it's been on my consciousness for a while so I have that to look forward to kind of fairly immediately and then I, I have it in mind that a uh, sort of follow-up to that somewhere down the line as well um, but yeah I don't know much outside of what I'm doing at the moment because I sort of feel like 
there's quite a lot of things in my career well, that I'm lucky to be doing. Reason. You know, I feel really lucky to be doing things that I love, and I just kind of want to keep doing that's more of it. That's 100% the best answer. Yeah, thank you. You're going to put all my other guys to shame today with that answer. <laughs> um, last thing, your flute. Tell us about it. So we were talking a little bit about this. You play on a wooden flute. I do, yes. Why do you play on a wooden flute? Well, the sound of it, I just think, is beautiful. It's so warm and so uh, focused and there's a depth to it which I, I just really love. The responsiveness of it is slightly different to the metal flutes and I was on tour one time actually with my duo, flute and guitar duo in the States and when I played at a festival in Boston there were a lot of the flute makers there obviously because it's Boston and so somebody came from uh, Brannan to the concert and instead of recommending to me to go and buy a Brannan flute she said, um, do you know I think the sound that you use would be really well matched to wooden flutes. There's some yeah. great makers here. So basically I, I went after the concert and started trying some and I met Chris Abel who made that flute and I just yeah fell in love with it straight away. Um, so I, I came back home and, and I discovered that Bill Dowdle who was principal in yeah. the National Symphony Orchestra also had one of these flutes so I was able to kind of go and try it a wee bit more. Oh does he play on a Chris Abel as well? He does yeah. I know he has a wooden flute and there was an Abel there you go. Yeah, so that gave me a wee bit more chance to try it out. You know, sometimes it's hard at like a flute festival and there's other sounds and you feel a wee bit, I yeah. don't know, under scrutiny, don't you sometimes? I hate and, doing that, yeah. yeah. I hate testing out a flute in front of other flutists. Oh, it's why. Yeah. You know, all you can think about is like, oh, what am I going to play? You know? gonna, yeah. Um, but uh, no, so I was able to, thankfully, it was very kind of Billy, he loaned me his flute to go away and try okay. for a bit and I, I got to just get to grips with it a wee bit more and, and I decided basically, yeah, so... Chris made that flute for me and then I met him in Paris when it was made and I tried loads of different head joints for it actually okay. at the time because there were different ones, different shapes that okay. he made. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a wee process and, and I've loved it. It's it's a gorgeous instrument. So um, I mentioned to you before, like I, I don't use it for everything because it um, it takes a bit longer to warm up. Okay. The sound, it's worth it yeah. when you do, but I find sometimes when I'm quickly going to something and I just need my flute to be responsive, like immediately, that my silver flute is, is easier. Okay. It's also, the silver flute's a bit lighter as well, so sometimes when you're playing like really, really fast music, okay. it's, it feels just slightly easier under okay. the fingers to have so a lighter So it's not a question of repertoire, for example, because I know a lot of people prefer to play baroque music and classical music on the wooden flute and then switch the metal for anything after that. It yeah, wouldn't be that no. for you. No, it wouldn't. Uh, like, it, I, I can play anything on either, to be honest. You know, you it go. doesn't really okay. matter. Um, I do, like, I remember somebody, after I played a concert, when I had this flute responding to my recital album that you mentioned, saying, oh, that back is so beautiful because it's on your wooden flutes. And I was like, well, it wasn't actually because I didn't have it at the time when I recorded oh, there you that. Are, you know, really? but it, I think I was just trying to go for that kind of sound. You know, yeah. I think I was drawn huh. to that. Um, and that that is kind of what, what appeals to me a bit you know and it, and it's funny because you kind of finances dictate that you have to make choices along the way like we can't all have all of the flutes oh, you of know? course not yeah unfortunately yeah but I feel like there's something in, in my character or my way of playing that's uh, represented really well or it just it responds the way I want it's it to it's a beautiful you know? it looks gorgeous sitting there as well um, Offset G B foot joint was that a choice oh, well, I suppose the B foot joint for you with contemporary music is you'll use it yeah um the offset G, I, like I did play in line when I was at college and then when I bought my silver flute uh, after, I think I was just kind of coming around to the feeling that the offset was just slightly easier. And I think it was Robert Dick I'd spoken to actually in a masterclass one time. Oh, he's he said, like, the offset G, yeah. Isn't it? You know, he was promoting it to the max, but he's sort of saying, like, you can't hear any difference. And, like, obviously you can't hear any difference. Well, I can't hear any difference. No, I don't think you can hear anything. Difference, it's no. just a, a comfort thing. And I have quite small hands. So I think when I was buying my silver flute I just thought you know what this is just going to be easier for me and it okay. was um, and the B foot you know I don't actually have a, a B foot all the time on my silver flute I have a spare B foot yeah. joint that I just put on when I'm yeah. using it I find it slightly heavy at times I think with this one because it's yeah, a heavy flute it's a awkward, anyway yeah. it doesn't really okay doesn't okay. really um, matter but it's good to have the option um, but yeah and what kind of silver flute do you play I play an Altus silver flute with a Lafan head joint Ah, lovely. Wow, okay. Do you ever think you'll change your flute? Um, you I don't think I'll ever sell that flute because I love it, but I would kind of be interested 
maybe to try other flutes again. For a long time, I just sort of felt like that's it. But I'm kind of starting to come around to thinking maybe at some point I might see. It, it's partly as well because I've been playing that flute constantly now for, I mean, I, I guess I left music college in 2004. Okay. So, you know, nearly 20 years yeah. really of like playing intensively. It's, you know, there's a bit of wear and tear there. I'd so imagine, yeah. I, I love the flute, but I feel like it, I might need to get another at some point. Um, okay. Just ma- mainly for that reason, yeah. Yeah, curious. Um, I think we're nearly done, to be honest. We've talked for well over an hour, which is great. There's no end to my nerdiness. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Know. I know I could do another few hours, but I'm not subjected to that. Um, do you, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything you want to advertise while you're here? Um, my I listeners are very dedicated. They'll go check it all out. Do they? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I think I've almost sold everything I can at your listeners. Well, so. you're both on... You've got two records on Spotify. That much I know. I do, yes. Some of the other chamber uh, recordings I made back in the day didn't didn't survive the the fall of the record company. So that, that that's okay. something that happens. So there's there's a few lucky people few in the world who still have the... About, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, People go on the hunt for them, then maybe as well. Same yeah, they're really Agnes nice, classic. actually. Uh, it's a shame they're not because the one was the Histoire de Tango, which is beautiful. I saw that, yeah. yeah. I got a list from the, what was the name of the record label? North something records, wasn't oh, it? Oh, Natural Studio. Natural Studio Records, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. they had a list of their entire catalogue that, yeah. Yeah, did. and the Standing Stones one, which is all Irish and Scottish music, was yeah. gorgeous, you know. But yeah. um, Well, they yeah. will find a copy of that then. I know. There you are. It's worth Keep your it. eyes out. Um, and you have a website obviously I'm assuming you keep that up to date with your gigs and what's coming up I am dreadful at keeping that up to date okay. Gareth because I'm so busy all the time where can people find you then if they want to see live if they want to see what's going on with you do they just go to Hard Rain and see what's in there I mean for Hard Rain it's all it's all there for me I mean I'm kind of popping up here and there everywhere at the minute you know I've I've been really busy since I moved back to Ireland yeah. with the orchestras as well so, yeah. and like I'm playing with another orchestra tomorrow here and, and also with Belfast Ensemble next week. So there, there's a lot of wee things that I'm I'm doing here that I just don't get around to okay. to putting up, which is, is kind of terrible. Well, but what you said is if there's an orchestra playing in Ireland, you're probably there. Well, I might That's be. It. Yeah, there's a 50-50 <laughs> chance anyway. Well, I think we're done there then. We're going to go. I've got to go and record another few people and get Brilliant. another pint. So this was great. Thank you yes. very, very much for coming pleasure. on. It was an absolute pleasure. And yeah, everyone go check out. I'll leave a load of things in the description as well. There'll be links and stuff in there and you can check it all out there. Okay. Great. Thank you.